Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, and that's to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. This program will be part one of our look back at the 2022 regular session of the Missouri Legislature. Our guests are Jay Mo, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with the MCU Legislative Task Force. We are recording this program on May 31st, and though the legislative session ended a few weeks ago, Governor Mike Parson has yet to sign many of the bills that have passed. The final status of these bills is still pending. Welcome, Jay Mo and Alan. Thank you for being here. Yeah, glad to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having us. So the big issue championed by MCU this spring has been to get lead poisoning out of the drinking water in schools across the state. So how did things turn out? Well, we had a victory on that, and uh, that's very exciting. Um, we certainly had lots of ups and downs. Um, uh, we had champions very early on this. Uh, Representative Paula Brown from the St. Louis area, Senator Jill Shoup from the St. Louis area, uh, folks that MCU has a, a real chance to influence. Um, you know, because our power base is here in the St. Louis city and county area for the most part. Um, but it's hard with them being in the, in the minority caucuses in their chambers to get a hearing on their bill. So we had to recruit uh, Representative Dottie Bailey, a Republican from Jefferson County, in order to carry the bill, in order to get a hearing. Uh, and the hearing got postponed a couple of times. So we were worried that we might run out of time. Uh, but we finally got a hearing. I think a real key thing that happened is that we figured out that the, the guy that could be really influential was a man from Pulaski County, uh, from down around Rolla, um, Representative Mayhew, because he is a surveyor and a water engineer by his training, and, and he's on the right committees. He's on, he was on the committee to consider putting uh, money from the American Rescue Plan Act, the federal uh, stimulus spending that had some money that could be spent on lead remediation in it. Um, he was on the committee that, that would be moving that way forward. He was on the budget committee and he was on the house committee on conservation and natural resources. And so if we could get representative Mayhew on our side, he could convince lots of people because they saw him as the water expert. Um, so, um, we don't have a base in, in his County. So what we did is we brought some water testers from the St. Louis area, uh, cause he wanted to hear from people that knew the science of it. So, uh, we, we brought uh, three folks at Testwater down to visit with him uh, and answer his questions, and that did help a lot. And he became quite the champion about it in the budget hearings and, uh, and then also in, uh, in the, the Committee on, um, on Conservation and Natural Resources. So uh, that worked well. And uh, where, where the bill finally passed was on the Education Omnibus Bill, and it got added in. Um, and in the conference committee report, where they send some members from the House and the Senate into a room to work out differences in the bill. The unusual thing about uh, how our bill passed is our language wasn't in, in either uh, Senate Bill 681 uh, or 662 or in any of the House amendments uh, that had happened uh, when that bill got out of the House. 
So the motion to go to conference gave them permission to exceed the language of the bills that had passed in order to add our language to it. And it specifically named the section of Missouri Code that our language was in. Uh, and that's a very unusual thing that you hardly ever see. And I think that that's uh, something we should congratulate ourselves for. It shows that we really convinced both the House and the Senate that that needed to pass this year. And they found a way to amend an omni uh, education omnibus bill in order to get it into there. So uh, that's now on the governor's desk. And, and we uh, have been asking folks to uh, go to a, a link that, that uh, we've set up in order to communicate with the governor to ask him to sign that bill. Senate bills 681 and 662. Okay, great. Now I, that brings up a couple of things. One, finding Representative Mayhew uh, is a is a wonderful example of what we at MCU like to call uh, power analysis. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Getting getting the lay of the land and uh -huh. understanding who yep. the right person to talk to is. Right. Right. Was was he involved in bringing that up in conference committee? Uh, because there had to be somebody inside that room to to bring that language forward. It wasn't going to get there by itself and it sure wasn't going to get there from people knocking on the door on the outside. So was there a particular uh, representative or senator that really championed it in conference committee? Well, here was, here was the interesting thing. The man who made the motion to exceed the differences was uh, Representative Basie, the chair of the elementary and secondary education who had been our opponent on all of this critical race theory kind of stuff, we had fought with him. You know, that's one of the things about the legislature is, is um, sometimes I've heard Alan quote the, the political aphorism, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's a guy that we were fighting tooth and nail on one issue, and he wound up being such a strong uh, advocate for get the let out that he made the motion to exceed the differences. Mayhew made, uh, offered the amendment uh, on a Senate bill that came over to the House uh, that we were trying to get our language onto Senate Bill 984. So he he was you know helping us get it on get the language where, where it needed to belong and helping us get the money uh, to move along. But it was actually uh, Representative Basie who'd been our enemy on one issue who was our friend on a different one. And so that uh, I'm going to take delight in writing my thank you note to him. <laughs> but that work from Senator Mayhew does highlight that. Just because a, a, a piece of legislation or part of a bill gets added into, in this case, I think you said it was 981, it doesn't mean that it it can only be there. And and but the work that you do to advance a bill that may not make it all the way across the finish line yeah. can help you add legislation into something that does have more momentum to get all the way across, like yeah. we did with get with getting the let out. Um, and so that, you know, that's just the, the work that was done on another bill by, by, by Representative Mayhew, excuse me, um, helped us, you know, even if he wasn't the one specifically doing the work on 681, 662, the, the education omnibus bill, he, it was still crucial that that, exactly. that, yeah. that sort of pre-work had been done to make it right. easier to, to bring things together at the end. Yeah, every committee you pass it through, you've convinced a certain number of people that it's a good idea. So when 984 came before that committee that was Mayhew, Mayhew was on, we were able to convince 21 people there that it was a good idea. Only one person voted no uh, on 984, and that was Representative Burton from the St. Louis area. But it wasn't about our language. It was about some stuff about asphalt shingles that was also on that bill that he did not like. We did not particularly like that language either, but we had some assurances from environmentalist groups 
that the language wasn't bad enough to, to make us withdraw our support of, of 984. Um, so uh, yes, uh, um, Alan is right that every every little group that you convince, you, you're getting closer to your magic numbers, which is 82 votes in the House and 18 votes in the Senate in order to have the majorities that you need to move things forward. Okay, great. And the last thing I want to ask about this particular uh, uh, part of this bill, because it is just a mm-hmm. part of the bill that passed, was was there anything uh, in what passed that we would like to have seen a little bit better? Or was this pretty much what we were, were trying to get across the, the finish line? No, we did have to accept the compromise. It was very frustrating. Uh, but it's kind of understandable. I understand the what the school administrators were saying. We wanted it to say that the water had to test at one part per billion uh, of lead or less because the pediatricians said that that's the health standard. But there there aren't a lot of products out there to use in plumbing that guarantee of getting lead that low. They they maybe they can do it. I mean, the DC schools have used filters that have got them to there. Uh, but do they want to like advertise that right on the package? No, they're really like afraid of litigation or something. So they're they're not going to say that. Uh, and then um, uh, even bottled water that you buy at the store only has to, to reach a five parts per billion standard. Uh, so the school administrator said, you know, this is too, too tight. Uh, we can't even find, you know, labs that will test that close uh, in, in some cases. So um, we need you to leave this at five parts per billion, which is stronger than the federal standard. So it's a big improvement. Uh, but uh, one of the things we will want our congregations to do is to educate the principals, the superintendents, et cetera, uh, members of the school boards that, that they are connected to, that you shouldn't settle for five parts per billion. You need to shoot for one part per billion because that's what the pediatricians, the docs that take care of kids say uh, is a better standard. And, and if you pick the right uh, products, if you pick the right filters, you'll, you'll be able to, to reach that like other school districts have. So uh, our job is not done. We have to get it implemented right now, and we need people to to uh, shoot for the health standard, not the standard that's written in the Missouri Code. We do have the assurances from the school administrators that they'll work with us to tighten that language over time once they prove to themselves that it can be done. Okay, great. So that is a, a straight out victory for something that we advocated for. And and also we had partners on that, the Sierra Club and, and others that, that were helping us with that message. Right. The pediatricians were a big help. Uh, Kids Win Missouri, uh, Missouri PTA, um, uh, and so, several local health departments, including St. Louis City Health Department, uh, all weighed in on that with us. And, and that was all very helpful. Okay, great. So sometimes our victories are in defending existing rights and and benefits. Uh, So let's talk about a few of those. Uh, Let's first talk about defending the initiative petition process. Uh, There was a push this past session to drastically change the initiative petition process in Missouri, the process by which citizens can join together to put legislation before the voters without involving the legislature. Uh, There were several bills moving both through both houses uh, this past spring, what ended up getting the farthest and how was it stopped? Yeah, like you said, Kevin, there were a lot of different attacks on the initiative petition process this year. Um, the the one that got the farthest was a House joint resolution. R- real quick aside, the difference between a bill and a resolution is that the, the, the joint resolutions from either the House or the Senate will end up being put for a vote to the people and the bills um, 
once they're passed by both houses, they can just go into law if they're signed by the governor. Um, so House Joint Resolution 79 was the one that got the farthest. It passed the House all the way through. It got out of committee on the Senate side and it went up for debate on the floor of the Senate. But there was a strong filibuster led by a lot of senators, and especially those from St. Louis, um, that that went on and was able to to end that bill's chances of of getting across in the Senate. Um, you know, we had done some work with a lot of those senators ahead of time um, because they represent a lot of the people that MCU is connected to. And we were able to to make sure they knew how important it was to us that they do everything they could to stop the attacks on the initiative petition process. That was the first time I ever felt like I got to play along during a filibuster. Um, uh, two of the St. Louis area senators were doing a game where they were naming cities of Missouri alphabetically, you know, cities that start with A, with B. And so a bunch of us started texting them that like had their text numbers, this, our cities, you know? And so and when they got to R and I put Rolla in and they read it aloud, I was like, yay, they said my city, you know? So uh, it uh, you do some really silly things sometimes when you're filibustering to kill time. And this time we got to play along for a while. That was kind of kind of neat. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> if only more of the Missouri legislature could be that sort of participatory there you uh, go. <laughs> activity, which which is like what the initiative petition is all yeah. about. Right. Yeah. And, and that's my next question. If this okay, bill had passed, what would have been the consequences uh, for the voter initiative petition process? It would have basically taken away any possibility of passing something through the initiative petition. So another thing that people don't understand about this is there are two ways to get an initiative petition on the ballot. You can do it by the citizens or you can do it through the legislature. And interestingly enough, the legislature didn't want to put any restrictions on their own initiative petition process. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I can't say for sure why they don't want to restrict themselves and they want to restrict us. Um, but I think we can read between the lines there <laughs> and and understand that this was about limiting the power of people to have a voice in their government. This was about people saying, oh, well, I, I'm in power. I'm in the legislature. So I know better than you do what you need. You know, we even heard that about uh, some of the 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 policies that have been passed through the initiative petition from the floor. Some representatives and senators have, have said, you know, yeah, they voted for it, but they they were, you know, I, I don't know if they flat out said we were stupid, but they they all but said that sometimes. Um, and it's just really frustrating to me to hear that and to see it happen and for them to to almost get away with it. Um but like the like the Scooby Doo references, they they would have gotten away with it if it weren't for us pesky citizens saying no, this is wrong, and you should not you should not make it easier for yourselves than you do for us to get something on the ballot. Um, so currently, the law is that um, especially uh, so the if if we're looking to change the Missouri Constitution, we have to. Um, get a certain number of signatures in six of eight congressional districts. Uh, Missouri has eight congressional districts right now. Um, you know, and, and so if you, if you get a certain number 
Uh, I think it's 5%. It 5% might be, of the people that voted in the gubernatorial okay. election. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 5% of the voters in the gubernatorial election in six out of the eight congressional districts. So for more progressive uh, uh, initiatives, you may have certain districts you want to target. You'll probably do the first and the second and the fifth, that's St. Louis and Kansas City. And then you've got to find three others where you can get the 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 uh, signatures you need. If HJR 79 had passed, it would have said, no, you got to get it in all eight. And so it would have would have nearly doubled the number of signatures that we would need. And then it also said that if when when something actually does get to the ballot, which takes so much work, um, you have to get the vote to pass by a two thirds majority. So the the current the the current law says fifty percent plus one simple majority, um, and this would have said you got to get you got to get. Um, you know, I, I think what seventy nine had was was two thirds. Um, some some things they tried to put forward this year said seventy percent. Um, some said a majority of registered voters. And so you would need to basically have a unanimous vote because not everybody turns out to vote in particular elections, um, which is why when we were talking about this stuff, you know, we could we could get into the weeds about, well, 66 percent, 70 percent, 60 percent. You know, let's just keep things how they are. It's already hard enough to get things passed. And you're it's not fair to take the voice away from Missouri citizens, from Missouri voters, when you're not doing the same thing to yourself and you're not listening to us on the things we're asking you to pass, which is the other part, too. Um, you know, if, if they had passed Medicaid expansion like we've been telling them to for over a decade, if they had stopped attacking workers and if they had stopped trying to pass right to work over and over um, you know, then we wouldn't have had to go through the the ballot initiative. If they hadn't tried to mess with elections and gerrymandering so much, we wouldn't have pushed for clean Missouri a couple of years ago. So when you have a legislature that doesn't listen to you, and then they try to make it harder for you to have your voice heard, and they don't do anything about their own voice, you know that something's wrong, and it's up to us to step up and and say no this is not working and that's what we did and again another success for mcu this year okay great and you had mentioned medicaid expansion so a similar place where we had to play defense was on medicaid uh coverage in the state was expanded by the vote of the people uh, from the initiative petition process in 2020 and finally implemented in the state this last year how did medicaid coverage fare this year in the legislative session and and what kind of risk was it at well, there was another attempt uh, to uh, to stop uh, the the expansion from going through. <clears throat> there was um, a House Joint Resolution 117, so 117. Uh, and as as Alan said, this attempts to create a constitutional amendment. So you may recall that what happened is is after we passed Amendment Two uh, by a good solid vote in 2020, um, the Budget Committee tried the next year not to fund it. And it, that got taken to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, no, you, you, can't, you can't just overturn a constitutional amendment like that uh, and refuse to, to fund it. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they kind of had their, their, uh, their ears pinched uh, by the Supreme Court. Uh, and so they thought, well, well, then we need to change the Constitution so that we, we can, uh, you know, overrule what the people said on this. Uh, we need to make... Uh, uh, Medicaid subject to appropriations in, in the future. So 
HJR uh, 117 did pass out of the House on a largely party line vote, 95 to 45, way back in February. Uh, and it did make it through committees over on the Senate side, uh, but it never did uh, get to a full uh, debate on the floor over there. Uh, we did have a, a kind of a mini lobby day where MCU took, I think it was six or seven uh, teams of people, th three or four people on each team, down to visit with legislators uh, back on March 3rd. And uh, Medicaid expansion was one of the issues that we visited with people about. So we think that that was a, a very successful day for, for getting our message shared and getting some commitments that people would be prepared to filibuster. Um, so uh, there, there was a, a serious attempt, especially on the House side, uh, to block that. But there, there are some senators on both sides of the aisle that, that don't think that's a good idea and do realize that Missouri's budget is in a lot better shape. Uh, by doing the, this expansion of, of the Medicaid program, because the match is better. The old Medicaid program, uh, the feds put up 60 cents of each dollar and Missouri put up 40 cents, a 60-40 match. And the, this new program through, through the uh, Affordable Care Act is a 90-10 match that, you know, anybody that can do math understands that that's just <laughs> way better for our state. Um, so uh, we missed out on a whole lot of federal funding by dragging our heels on that. And, and that's why we did gather signatures on petitions and, uh, and take lots of workers with low wages. You know, we've gone to the Capitol over and over to have people tell their stories about how their employer didn't furnish uh, health insurance and that they made too much money to get Medicaid. Uh, and they made too little money to get into the, uh, to the, the marketplace plans that are in the, the Affordable Care Act. The legislature wouldn't listen, so we gathered signatures and got that on the ballot and, and won it. And uh, uh, we had to defend it again this year, but we were able to do that. Does it seem like with this issue in particular um, that after a couple of tries, it, it might just be uh, that the legislature says, let's just move on from this issue? Or do we expect them to come back again next year and try it again? Um, I think it could come back uh, I'm, I'm hope I'm hopeful that um, uh, that it it will prove its its merit in a in a way that uh, that will you know soften the the opposition. So so we'll see. But what, what's the, I, I, I do I do think that it could come back again. Once the budget looks good, nobody's going to be complaining about it. Huh? Is what our hope is. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Another issue that uh, we were participating in uh, pushing back on was teaching truth in schools. And this is going to encompass quite a bit here. Uh, the focus of it initially was that uh, there was, the state legislature wanted to put in restrictions on the teaching about racism, sexism, and other discrimination in schools. And then it expanded to who can participate in what and uh, what sports and after school activities and when it comes to transgender students. So in general, what happened with these bills? Uh, the short answer is what happened is not much if you look at laws and a whole lot if you look at words. So people wanted to campaign on this. Um, you know, I guess they did some polling that it would rile up voters on one end and turn away voters on another. And um, some people thought that that calculation was the right one to make. And so right as the session started, they 
uh, the some folks in the legislature got started talking about uh, they called it critical race theory. Um, almost nobody who was fighting against um, talking about racism in school seemed to have any grasp of what critical race theory actually was. I think if they did, they would realize, oh, this is a really important conversation to have. Um, they tried to get going early on it and they were hit by a brick wall. And that was a lot of people, some from MCU and some from ally organizations across the state saying, no, thank you. We need to be honest. We need to teach our kids the truth about our nation's history, our state's history, our region's history. There's stuff that we're not proud of. If we don't learn from it, we're just going to stay repeating it, right? That's that's the old saying about history. If you If you don't learn from it, you're just going to repeat it. There was a record set for testimony on a House bill on these bills. So I think the numbers were uh, 1995 and 1474. Uh, over a thousand pages were submitted on one of those said, stop attacking critical race theory. Stop attacking teachers who want to, to be honest with their students. Stop attacking public education. Back up. You're not, you're not listening <laughs> again. This is my theme, right? You're not listening to us. We want to be honest. We want to make sure that, that our kids learn the truth. And so, you know, there was the let them learn coalition that, that came together. Uh, there was a lobby day that MCU participated in after that to make sure that we held the line. So they tried really early to, get these terrible bills passed. We hit them first and before they could, could recoup and try again, we pushed again. And so this is, this is a great instance of starting on defense and realizing that we need to turn toward a, a more offensive position to say, Nope, Nope, you're not coming. We're pushing back against you before you can even turn that around on us. Um, you know, they, they tried to do it about race. They tried to do it about parental rights, most of which um, already exist. If they're not codified in Missouri law, they're, they're solidly enshrined in board policy for school boards across the state. Um, you know, so there was a, another attempt toward the end of session to pass that on House Joint Resolution 110. And that couldn't even pass the house because there were enough people who said, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> we, we thought the polling was good over here. And it turns out we have really messed up. Um, so they, they stopped that. Um, and then another area that's especially close to my heart, because I know a lot of people who are transgender and are, are affected deeply by some of the attacks from the state legislature is, um, you know, what do we do about transgender health care, uh, especially for for kids and teenagers who are either not yet going through puberty or are going through puberty? Um, and how how does their their um, their gender identity um, that they recognize in themselves? Um, you know, how, how do we make sure that they get good affirming health care that that um, medical professionals have said, yes, this is the best standard of care. Um, 
there were some attempts from the state legislature to um, try to tell doctors what they could and couldn't do for their patients. And those did not pass either. Um, there were some attempts to tell schools that you have to treat transgender athletes a certain way, especially transgender girls. Um, you know, there, there were some strong attacks. Um, there was one instance where a senator asked a 14-year-old trans kid who was testifying what genitalia they had between their legs. I mean, this, this was some really terrible stuff that was happening in the state legislature this year. And I just, you know, like that question and some others, I, I couldn't believe that somebody thought this is yeah. an appropriate thing to ask in, in a committee hearing. I just um, blows my mind that, but again, you know, politics is about power. And it's true for people on our side. It's true for people on on other sides of issues. Um, and yeah, again, I was really glad that we were able to to keep those things from passing. But I do think the the issue the the issues and attacks on transgender people are going to continue um, because I I, I think. Um, those are still going to be pretty powerful politically and, and they're going to get people riled up in a way that, uh, we need to figure out how to, how to combat from a faith-based perspective. I think there's great theology, uh, to support transgender people as they are, as God has made them to be. And I think that, um, you know, it's up to us to, to help, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a transgender person, I'm a cisgender person. And so it's up to people like me to, to step out and be in front so that the the transgender folks who are already attacked in so many ways don't have to um don't have to bear the brunt of that alone um it's another thing that i hear from from people in in the lgbtq plus communities is you know when 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 straight or cisgender people think that the issues don't affect them it's a lot harder for straight and cisgender people to to join the cause and to be vocal and to be active and um you know it's just it's really important to me as again as someone who deeply loved so many people in those communities um for them to know that they are not alone and they do not have to be the only ones responsible for standing up for themselves you know it's up to me to be in that gap for them, with them, take take the lead in how we how we address things from them, but do not make them take the lead in in um, the brunt of the attacks. Yeah, I I grew up uh, before we knew a lot of what we now know about gender, and um, uh, I always felt you know really really awkward as a kid that I didn't exactly fit in either camp. But there is no language for that. Uh, and, you know, fairly recently, young people have taught me about the gender binary and I've, I've, I've come out as gender non-binary uh, and identify as neither male nor female, nor man nor woman. Uh, I'm, I'm not in either camp. I'm gender non-binary. I'm a human being is how I think of myself. Uh, and and um, it would have been helpful if there had been a better, better discussion of this when I was a kid. It would have, it would have made me a more comfortable person, uh, but uh, that wasn't known back then. I also have a, um, a nephew who is a pediatric, pediatric endocrinologist who treats transgender kids. And he's, he's just appalled, you know, that, that folks would get between him and his patients and not allow him 
to practice what he's learned in medical school uh, about, you know, how to provide proper care. Uh, you know, folks that don't understand anything, they, they haven't studied anything that he's studied, but they're ready to, to pontificate all about gender. And that's, that's a really scary thing. Okay, good. And, and this, again, is a good example of being organized, being vocal, standing up. And Alan, I think one of the things you said is so important. It, because of the difference in majority and minority, if those of us who are uh, cisgender don't speak up, the number, we're the ones in the vast majority. So we're the ones that hold that power. So if we don't speak up, that 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 cause is not going to be championed at the level it should be. I guess the other thing about this is to keep in mind is that this issue is still, these all of these issues, whether it's critical race theory or uh, the, the gender rights are very, very big at the local level, the school board level. And we saw that play out in, in elections this spring, where some districts were able to keep that impulse at bay and others were not able to do that. So if it didn't play at the state level, it still has a lot of traction at the, at the local level. Thank you uh, to my guests today, JMO, organizer and lead campaign strategist for MCU, and Alan Harris-Dalt, a leader with MCU Legislative Task Force. If you're ready to join us in the work for justice in the St. Louis area, contact us at 314 367 3484 or email us at office at mcustl.com. You can learn more and contribute to Metropolitan Congregations United at our website, mcustlewis.org. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.